Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Father, for not giving up on us in our rebellion. And I'm not talking about pre-Christ. I'm talking about thank you for pursuing us even after we have embraced the cross and yet we still pursue things thinking there's something out there better. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for being the faithful husband that stays even when the cheating wife keeps cheating. We are Israel. <laughs> we are the adulterous wife. And yet, you continually call us back to repentance because you're faithful and you're loving. That's grace. That's the God we serve. That's why we've gathered in this room as imperfect people saved by the grace of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. If you have your Bibles, I shouldn't even be saying that if you have. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. I almost don't even want to say it after Tony shamed me last week. Matthew chapter 5. I am thankful for Tony, uh, his faithfulness to the Word of God. Uh, last week, I think he preached a fantastic sermon uh, for Mother's Day, just reminding us um, hey, thank you so much, Tyler. Um, just reminding us that we can ask God to do great things through our kids for his kingdom. It's a prayer that we should be praying, moms and dads. It's a prayer that we should be praying. Now, today, I will attempt to move us along in Matthew uh, just a little bit. It will get quicker. I promise uh, it won't take 10 years, as it was so eloquently spoken last week. Uh, it will move along quicker, I promise, but we are intentionally slowing down here through chapters 5, 6, and 7 because of the uniqueness of the passage. I don't know if there is another passage in all of the Gospels where we get Jesus preaching this entirety of a sermon. It's a beautiful thing, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is standing on a mountain preaching a sermon to his followers, and it's recorded so we can read it and so that we can understand it. And Jesus starts his sermon in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, right? Reminding his audience, and we've been reminding each other of this every week, but reminding the audience that following Jesus starts with what we believe in our hearts, not the actions of our hands, right? That's what he's been teaching us. Jesus always starts with the heart. That's why Jesus keeps saying, you have heard it said, but I say, three weeks ago, you have heard it say, do not murder, but I say, do not even be angry with someone because doing so is murder in the heart. Two weeks ago, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say anyone who lusts has already committed adultery in their heart. And so we continue that theme today in verse 31 of chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard the law that says... A man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. You'll find that in Deuteronomy 24, verse 32. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful 
causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, re remember a few weeks ago when I said that Jesus sometimes would teach on controversial subjects. And remember me saying that the danger of preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible is you can't skip those controversial passages. Well, this is one of those hot-button controversial passages. And it really shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be controversial because when rebellious, when rebellious humans want their rebellious hearts to be happy above God being glorified, there's conflict. And conflict becomes controversy within the church when repentance remains absent. Well, that's, that's some pretty deep stuff that we could probably just make a whole sermon out of right there. Most of the topics that are controversial that the church argues about, fights about, pushes back against, it's just our hearts being unrepentive and unwilling to submit to the authority of scriptures. Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, 33, saying, You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And do not even say by my head, for you can't even turn one hair white or black without help from coloring from Walmart. <laughs> Jesus says you can't change one color of hair on your head. Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. This is, this is where we get that, I don't know if you ever heard it, but I grew up, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You ever heard that statement? Let your yay be yay, right? In other words, church, our word should be our oath. Our word should be our vow. Christians should be the most trustworthy people on the planet. Our words matter and people outside of the church should be able to bank on what Christians say. And the reason why I think these two passages do go hand in hand is that we don't have divorce in verses 31 and 32 without the breaking of vows or the breaking of promises that we've made. Because here's the deal with marriage. We stand before God and we stand before our spouse and we stand in front of a room full of witnesses and we say, no matter what, I will. No matter what, I do. Till death do us part. We promise that before each other and before God. But it doesn't always work out like that, does it? In fact, researchers estimate that 41% of all marriages end in divorce. You could get it better the second time. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages in, in divorce. Why do I share those stats? Well, first of all, I find them interesting. <laughs> I find them interesting because it proves that the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side or the other side or the other side. 
right? Secondly, it brings home the point that something about marriage is broken. And honestly, no matter how broken it is, we all probably have a part to play in it. I've seen other stats that say the divorce rate within the church is rising and closely comparable to the stats outside the church. Something about marriage is broken, and the church is not immune from it. Our church is not immune from it. I don't want to preach this sermon. I certainly didn't want to preach it on Mother's Day last week, hence Tony preaching on Mother's Day. I'm like, no! And I know we got visitors here today. I promise this is not what we preach on every week, but we are faithful to the Word of God, and if it says it, we're going to preach it. At least if we're expository preaching. If we're just topical, we'd have probably skipped this and moved on to chapter 6. <laughs> uh, we're not immune from it. And here's, here's the thing about today's text. Marriage has been broken for a long time. In fact, it's been broken since Genesis 3. Right? In fact, Jesus here is speaking these words in chapter 5 into a culture that treats women like possessions rather than people. You didn't need a real reason to divorce in this culture. If you nag me too much, I can hand you a notice of divorce. If you are a terrible cook, I can hand you a notice of divorce. If I don't like your mother, I can hand you a slip, a notice of divorce. We have no-fault divorce in our culture. In their culture, they had a her-fault divorce. And nobody questioned it because obviously it was her fault because the man said so. And it's in that context Jesus steps in. And he says, you've heard it said that a man can divorce his wife by just merely giving her a written notice. But I say, you divorce your wife without grounds for divorce, and you're, causing, you're committing her, you're causing her to commit adultery. And in a minute, you're going to find Jesus goes a little farther. Matthew 19 says, and if you remarry, you're committing adultery. This wasn't Jesus creating the old ball and chain and throwing away the key. This is Jesus protecting women from being objectified and treated like property rather than people. And again, Jesus is attacking here not people. He's attacking the hearts of people. Can I prove that to you in Matthew 19? This is on divorce. So when we get to Matthew 19, I will skip this passage only because we're preaching it today. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him again. They're, they're always asking Jesus questions, trying to trap him. And here's what the question. Um, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus replies, have you not read the scriptures? They record, the scriptures record that from the very beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and he's joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And then the tensions thicken even more. Because the Pharisees go, oh yeah? Then why didn't Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your 
hard hearts. But don't miss this next line. It was never, it was never God's original intention. What was God's original intention? Well, Jesus just told us. He's just quoting from Genesis 2. One, two. One man, one woman, two becoming one for a lifetime. Verse 9. And I tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife and then marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So here's what we need to understand. Jesus doesn't rule out divorce. He just greatly narrows down the reasons for it. It's got to be beyond a mom, a mother-in-law, bad cooking, bad attitude. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to spend the remainder of our time observing just four truths that we need to understand when it comes to this idea or this, this topic of marriage and divorce. Number one, God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2 Starting in verse 13, here's what Malachi writes. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and you're weeping and you're groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't God accept my worship? I'll tell you why. They're, they're actually weeping because they're praying and God's not answering. They're worshiping and God's not receiving. Malachi says, here's why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to your wife of your youth. For I hate divorce. I'm not making that up. It's right there in Malachi. God says, I hate divorce. The Lord says, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So again, he says this, guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful. Je Listen, Jesus did it, and now Malachi is, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is somehow connecting our faithfulness or unfaithfulness to our spouse, to our hearts. Hmm. The church can... And the church has had a lot of debate on the subject of divorce. There are different opinions and beliefs on divorce, even within the church. But the one thing that we must all agree upon, God hates it. God hates it, and he does so because it goes against his original intentions. It goes against his original plan. And what was God's original plan? Truth number two, God created marriage. God's the one that created marriage. Jesus says, God made them male and female, and a man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. And since they're no longer two, but now they're one, no one is to, to split up, no one is to tear apart what God has joined together. That is how God designed it. Marriage is God's. Creation does not get to rewrite the plan of the creator. How foolish and arrogant are we? I know marriage is under attack today, but we do not get to redefine what marriage is. Look, look at me. 
you can rebel against it. You can be with whoever you want to be with, and you can do whatever you want to do, and you can call it whatever you want to call it, except marriage. Because marriage is not ours to define. It was, it was established from the very beginning. One man, one woman, for life, thus saith the Lord. And when somebody tells you that Jesus, that's all Old Testament. That's all Old Testament. That's not covered under the New Covenant. Just take them to Matthew chapter 19 and remind them that Jesus quoted the Old Testament because this plan has not changed. Anything outside of those parameters, one man, one woman for life, anything outside of those parameters is rebellion against God's plan, which means it's sin. Divorce is the fruit of our hard, wicked hearts. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Now, don't shut me down yet, all right? Do not get mad. I'm not done. But nothing I have said yet should be controversial within the church. It is because of the condition of our culture, and so goes the culture, so has gone the church. But as Jesus' followers, nothing I have said has been my own words. These are the words of Jesus, and hope is coming, so stay with me. Truth number three is this. The goal should always be reconciliation in marriage. The goal should always be reconciliation. Jesus, yes, Jesus leaves the door open for divorce. There is biblical grounds for divorce, and it is found within marital unfaithfulness. But the goal, even within marital unfaithfulness, should be reconciliation. God receives greater glory when relationships are restored rather than ruined. The greatest testimonies come from broken relationships that were restored rather than written off. If we loved our spouse as Christ loved us, if we served our spouse as Christ served us, if we forgave our spouse as Christ has forgiven us, marriages would be revived within the church. Marriages would be revived within our culture. Now, I am aware that restoration is not always possible. And Christian or not, you should never remain in a place that puts you or your family in harm's way. We're not saying that. But here's what I think the stand that we as a church take. Separation with the possibility of restoration should always be the first consideration. We need some time apart, fine, okay? Let's separate, let's get before God, let's, let's, let's surround ourselves with the gospel community, let's work through some repentance, let's work through some, God, let's do some gospel work in our own hearts, each of you. Let's strive, let's, let's run after reconciliation. 
Separation with the possibility of restoration should always first be considered, and divorce should always be the last straw, and it should break our hearts because it is not how God intended our stories to end. But we are sinners, and we live in a broken, sinful world, so times our stories get messy, don't they? Marriages get messy. The entire Old Testament is a story of a faithful God pursuing Israel, which is described as a rebellious, unfaithful spouse. The entire, there's entire books like Hosea that tell the story of Israel's adultery against God. And over and over and over again as they cheat on him, over and over and over again through this story, there's this constant passion from God to redeem and restore them back to himself. Our rebellion creates messes within relationships. But Jesus is greater than our mess. Divorce is an option within marital unfaithfulness but it should always be our last option. I'll move on to truth number four. God's grace is sufficient even in divorce. This, this is the good news, by the way. I was gonna spend a little bit more time on number three because in God's eyes, there is no such thing as a no-fault divorce. Oh, somebody's at fault. Somebody's in rebellion against God and his plan, his design. It's probably two. It's probably two people. In my experience, and I grew up under uh, Bob Tebow, who uh, for years I got to sit in in his counseling, and I've done some counseling, and, and it's amazing when, when couples come in that are on the brink of divorce, <laughs> you re- the one who says we need counseling, by the time they leave, they're more mad because they've been revealed as hey, you've got some rebellion in your own heart. Like you haven't caused, like you don't cause your spouse to sin, but you've been a stumbling block. Well, no, it's about him, not me. It's about her, not me. You need to fix them. No, no, no. We'll, we'll get to them. We'll start with you. Bob's had people walk out and walk back in and walk out. <laughs> no such thing as no fault. Two people married do not walk away from each other without there being sin involved, without there needing to be repentance. But, but here's the good news. Number four, God's grace is sufficient even, for, even within divorce. We can't ignore that divorce is sin because it goes against God's plan for marriage. But we can't ignore that we're all sinners and we've all gone against God's will and plan for our own lives. Both of those statements are true, which means none of us in this room get to stand on the high ground here. Well, I'm not divorced and you are. Doesn't matter. We're on level ground at the cross, man. We're all sinners. We've all made a mess of our lives. Both are true, which means no one gets to take the high ground. We are sinners and we all sin, but neither of these make the other less truthful. But the good news is God can redeem our brokenness even within the context of marriage and divorce. When when James says 
if we confess our sins. Like that passage doesn't apply to personal sins, but not marital or, or, or relation, relational sins. When we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins, no matter what they are. Romans, Paul says in Romans 4, 7 and 8, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is what? Cleared of sin. I hope you're not here today and divorced and feel like we're shaming you. No, no. Hey, we're telling you that there is a God that can clear your record. God's plan is marriage. One man, one woman, four life. Anything else God hates. The goal is always reconciliation, but there is grace and forgiveness where reconciliation was not pursued. Or was pursued, I'm sorry. And the reason why I say was was meaning past tense because God's grace is not a license for future sin. You can't be here today and say, well, if God will forgive me, then I will, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of her. Like, we're really going through a tough time, and she last night really upset me. And so, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll file the paperwork tomorrow, and I'll ask God to forgive me on Tuesday. It doesn't work that way. God's grace is not a get-out-of-marriage-free card. <laughs> Divorce should break us. Divorce should only follow mourning and weeping as we understand that all hope is lost. Divorce means that our enemy has won. Our enemy's goal is to still kill and destroy your life, your marriage, your family, our church. And if God's plan is marriage, one man, one woman forever, and there's anything other than one man, one woman forever, the enemy has stolen something. He has killed something. He has destroyed something. That is the only job of our enemy every day, all day long. When you wake up, he goes to work, and his only mission is to destroy your life. That's John 10.10. 10. But the Lord, and John 10.10 10 says, the Lord came to give us life. The Lord came to destroy our enemy and the Lord came to bless our lives and to bless our marriages and to bless our churches. So we center our lives, we center our marriages around Christ because he is our lifeline. He is our hope. And so if I had to give you a big idea this morning as we begin to wrap this up, I would say this, God takes serious the marriage of covenant and so should we. He takes it very serious. Let your yea be yea. Let your I do be I do. Until death do you part. We stand before God and we stand before a spouse and we vow for life. And Ecclesiastes, Solomon says in chapter 5, verse 5, it is better to say nothing 
than to make a promise and not keep it. Because God takes covenant seriously. Know that God will help us begin to take our covenant as serious as he does. And so here's the takeaway. The question should not be, how do I get out of this marriage? The question should be, how does God receive the most glory from my marriage? And then we pursue the answer to that question with all of our being. Because our marriages are a mirror of God's relationship to us, the church. Did you realize that? It's, it's all in the, God's sovereign will and plan that, that he wants to show the world what a relationship with a heavenly father looks like through the relationship of a husband and wife as Christ loves the church. And so when people look at the way that we men love our wives, they should get a beautiful picture of how Christ loves the church. When we walk away too easily, we are communicating to the world that God walks away too easily. When we fail to pursue one another, we communicate that God fails to pursue us. But when we love our spouse unconditionally, we display his unconditional love. When we forgive with such grace, we are displaying his grace. Our faithfulness, especially in our spouse's unfaithfulness displays God's faithfulness to us in spite of our unfaithfulness to him. Glory be to our God, our good and faithful husband that never leaves us, that never forsakes us. Our God who pursues us even in our rebellion. Our God who laid down his life for us. Our God who now lives within us, empowering us to do the impossible, to be and to do for others. To be and do for our spouses as he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we have not upset anybody here this morning. If you have, we're okay with that. It has not been our intentions of shaming anybody here this morning. We are all sinners, and we all stand on level ground before the cross. But if this morning your spirit is reminding us that we have unrepent of sin in our hearts. God, I pray that we would repent. Forgive us for our complacency as a church when it comes to the subject of marriage. Forgive us our sin of not loving our spouses as you have loved us. Renew our passion for you Renew our passion for the ones that you have given to us and give us strength to deny ourselves and to pursue them and their needs above even our own because that's what you have done for us.
God, we're not looking for a get-out-of-marriage card. We're looking for you to receive glory, for our marriages to be a foreshadowing, a beautiful reflection of Christ and his church. None of us have got that figured out. None of us are good at that yet. But God, I pray that daily as you make us more and more like you, that the two that have become one will start to look more and more like you. Thank you, Jesus, for protecting, for clarifying, for correcting culture that thought women were second class. They're image bearers. Just as we are. Help us love as you have loved. May we not give up. May we always pursue reconciliation. And that comes through just daily moment-by-moment repentance of when we are unfaithful. Thank you for your word, even when it's hard. Thank you for the reminder that you are faithful to us. So may we be faithful to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, there's nothing like a sermon on divorce to now segue into, we're going to be taking up a love offering. Uh, to end our time. And here's how we're going to do this. We're not going to do a song. We're going to put the offering plate right here on the communion table. Jordan, come up here for a second. Uh, last week, we told you that we were going to do this uh, for Jordan. He's going on a mission trip, and he explained just a little bit about it. He's going with a, a group of other nurses, right? And uh, just really quick, shared with, share with them with some of the things you shared with me after church last Sunday. And and, yeah. and then we'll let sure. people bless you. So, yeah, our mission trip is obviously focused on, uh, you know, preaching the word of God, but also uh, we're focusing mainly on uh, treating and educating new mothers and uh, proper infant care and stuff like that for people in the villages that we're going to be seeing. Yeah. So Jordan's in school at? Uh, Missouri Baptist. To be a? A nurse. <laughs> Hence why he's going on a trip as a nurse. And and here's the deal. We, we, we do pray for, hey, you're sharing, you're going to be dealing with a lot of single mothers, and, and they have these children, and, and sterilization is like a huge... Hygiene, like education. Hygiene, and yeah, it's a huge issue into the villages that they're going in. So they're going there to educate and also to treat. Um, and so let's pray. Let's pray that there are some uh, impacts made in these villages, uh, that they're the love that is given through these, these students, and, and uh, I think they're going... Um, First Baptist of Arnold is kind of partnering with this. and uh, so, so let's just pray that God is glorified in all of that. And then I'm going to add a little on top of that. Let's pray that um, through this trip, God changes Jordan's heart and uh, even reminds him even more of his faithfulness that uh, as we go into other villages or neighborhoods to, to help those who are in need, ultimately it's a picture of our need and, and Jordan's need for our Heavenly Father. And so I pray that as you go into these villages that God opens your eyes to see just how good mom and dad has made it for you here in America and how, how, how blessed we truly are. Haiti, when we walked into those villages in Haiti, it, just, it was life-changing. Life and uh, I was just talking to a couple yesterday at the track meet that went to Haiti with us, and we were both like, I wish we could take our kids. Right? Haiti's not a good place to go right now, but I would love for my kids to go have to 
to do for uh, about 10 days what they have to do every day of their lives, and maybe they would complain a little less. Maybe not, because I'm already back to complaining, so who knows. But we're praying that God um, um, use you guys to do great mission work and great work for the gospel and the advancement of it, but we're also praying that God does a great advancement of the gospel in your own heart, and this changes you, and, and you come back closer to him than you've ever been. And so uh, I know this is awkward. I'm just going to pray. We're going to ask God's blessings on this trip that's happening soon. Yeah, June 11th. June 11th. And so we can't wait until you get back. And uh, since people are given, it's obligated that you have to give a report of how it went. And, uh, and so the, the plate is here. We've, we've, again, if, if you're like, oh, I forgot about it, then you, you can still give towards it over the next week or so. Um, but anyway, as you leave, if you'll just come and, and put the money in the offering plate, we'll get it to them. And uh, thank you for blessing them. And, and again, don't just give. We're not the church that says just pray for them and not give. But we're not going to be the church that gives and doesn't pray. There's got to be this healthy balance. We're going, to, we're going to give financially, we're going to do, and then we're going to be. We're going to pray that God takes this and he does great advancement of his kingdom through this work, through our small sacrifice of giving. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you again. Thank you for today. Thank you for not allowing anybody to walk out during that sermon. Um, Thank you for Jordan. Thank you for uh, his heart to, to serve through the medical field for the rest of his life. Um, it's not an easy field. It's not a field that I would want to be a part of. So thank you for those that you give such a heart to care and serve in that uh, capacity. And uh, God, we're praying that this trip just be tremendous for those who are going to receive treatment and receive education. And, but we're praying that it's also just a, just a great trip for those who are going, that, that their hearts will be stirred and, and that that your work, your kingdom work will become even more real to them and they'll see that they're not just a, this, this speck on earth, that they are here to be servant missionaries wherever they're at, whether it's at a hospital room here in the state of Missouri or whether it's in a village in Africa, we're praying that you stir us to know that we have purpose for being here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. have a great week. God bless you.